Morning. All right, I'm going to warn you this morning, I've got four points, and each of them end with a story about my children, okay? I don't write sermons all around my children, but sometimes it happens that way. So just going to let you know in advance, okay? We're in a series entitled, Now That's Church, and what we're doing is we're looking at Acts 2:42 through 47. Acts 2:42 says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And what we've done is we've looked uh, very intently into the apostles' teaching, which we summarize as the core doctrine of the faith, and the fellowship, which I laid out last week, the four elements that make up fellowship. And today what I want to do is I want to look at that next line, the next thing they devoted themselves to, which was the breaking of bread. We typically refer to this as communion or the Lord's Supper. I might refer to it this morning as just simply coming to the table. And what I want to do is just visit some truths about communion communion every time you and I partake in it, again, whether that's as an individual, a family, uh, a group, or us as a church. And I will be kind of speaking through all four of those circles this morning. And uh, like we just saying, I've been praying that the Holy Spirit would uh, just have room in your heart as, as we work through this this morning um, uh, to, to speak to uh, exactly what we all need to hear in each of those areas. We're going to spend a lot of time in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And let me tell you what 1 Corinthians chapter 11 is. It's uh, Paul's most uh, extended uh, writing on communion. And what's going on in 1 Corinthians is this is about 30 or so years after this church in Acts. In Acts 2, 42 through 47, uh, there was like this euphoria, right? They had just come off of Pentecost. Peter preached this awesome sermon. Everyone's excited. Uh, but the excitement or the togetherness that they experienced in those early days of the Acts to church didn't last forever. And so later, the apostles had to write letters of instruction on how to restore the togetherness. In 1 Corinthians, the thesis statement is in verse 2. It says, called to be saints together. And so the rest of 1 Corinthians is about restoring that togetherness through all of the things that can break it up. One of them is mishandling communion. That's where Paul gets in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And so that's kind of why we're going to walk through it. It's also fall. That means it's football season, and every good football season, every good team goes back to what at the beginning? The basics. And in part, what we've been doing in these last two series is just returning to the basics of our faith. But here's what we know about the basics. They're not just basic. When we go back to the basics, there's, there's often a depth in there that we can understand that builds a proper foundation. And so I believe we uh, kind of instituted or re-engaged with the, the depth of the basics of our doctrine, the depths of the, uh, the basics of our fellowship. And today, we'll talk about the depths of the basics of communion or the Lord's Supper. There's a diagram uh, that we kind of came up with as a team earlier this uh, week that I think helps us understand where we're at. And so at the top of it is the church. And we talked in our last series, how do you enter the church? Well, when you embrace Christ, you're automatically entered in. And then you devote yourselves to the same things, the apostles' teaching and fellowship. Those things then find themselves uh, complete or they're affirmed through communion, the Lord's Supper, coming to the table. And so that's where we're at right now. And you can see it's kind of the middle of the diagram. And it's appropriate that communion is at the middle of the diagram because there sits Christ. There sits Jesus at the center of everything. So that's where we're headed this morning. Uh, if you have a Bible, probably best to flip it over to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Uh, and I just want to walk through four things that communion helps us with this morning. Here's the first. Communion centers us back to Jesus and affirms the apostles' teaching. 
I'll start in verse 23. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so here you have the the first church. Uh, They did this in Acts 2.42. Here you have the church 20, 30 years or so after uh, uh, the church was formed, and they're continually coming back to the table, coming back to taking the Lord's Supper. Well, the first reason is because it just takes you back to Jesus. The simple act of communion, of, of remembering his body broken, his blood shed. How can you not think about Jesus in those moments? See, there is a way to uh, be firm in truth, to uh, champion truth, to elevate truth, the apostles' teaching, and to do so in such a way that actually forgets about Jesus. In the, Old T- or the New Testament scriptures, we see this in, in the Pharisees. They loved truth. They loved doctrine. They loved law. They loved how it was written out. Uh, but, uh, of course, they didn't see Christ, uh, and it was not rooted in love. And there is a way, even as a church, to be strongly, firmly championing truth, but to miss Jesus in the process. And in the... Simple uh, reading that we just did there in those few verses. There's some great doctrine in there. Uh, the, the new covenant, the shedding of Christ's blood, his body broken for us, the pathway to our salvation, all of these things that uh, find themselves complete in communion. But when you actually then sit down to take communion, we are reminded that Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, that all of this truth finds itself complete in Jesus. And so it helps us to not just be champions of truth, which we are, of course, to be, but to remind ourselves that that truth comes out of Christ, finds itself complete in Jesus. The same is true on the other side, that you can get caught up in fellowship, you can uh, get caught up in loving one another and meeting each other's needs and uh, creating these great relationships and all things that are good things, but actually miss Jesus in the process of it. And so taking communion allows us to go back and remember all of our Christian fellowship, all of the unity uh, that the church is supposed to have is because of Jesus, because he is the one who reconciled the two and made them one. And so whether it is erring on the side of uh, truth without Christ or fellowship without Christ, communion takes it all back and centers it all back around Jesus. Now, communion is not the only way to center us back on Christ, but it is certainly a great way. Even in our own faith at times, we can be living the Christian life. We can be following the, the rules. We can be adhering to the truth. We can be doing all of the right things and forgetting about Christ. Communion takes us back to Jesus. Does this for us as a church as well, the reminder that every song, every conversation, every ministry attempt, every service must come back to Christ. So Reagan, uh, if you don't know Reagan, she's my soon-to-be five-year-old. And the other day, I looked out in the backyard and she was doing this. And she was talking the whole time as she was doing it. starting to yell. I peek my head out and I go, Reagan, what are you doing? She said, I'm playing sermon. Okay. 
Um, Reagan listens to, my, to me practice sermon a lot, and I got a couple of videos of it, but I'm not allowed to show them because I was showing them to somebody else, and Reagan said, Daddy, don't show that. It's a bad sermon. I said, well, <laughs> babe, they get better, okay? Uh, just keep practicing. And uh, I don't know what my neighbors think is going on in our backyard, but, you know, Reagan's preaching the gospel out there. And uh, I, I brought her in, and after listening to one of them, and, uh, and I said, hey, Reagan, what's, what's at the heart of every good sermon, babe? What's at the heart of every good sermon? And at first, she didn't know the answer. Now, now if I ask her, she does. And, and I look at her and say, what's, what's, what makes a good sermon? And she said, it's about Jesus. So that's right, babe. It's got to go back to Jesus. So friends, for all of us, what makes a good church? What makes a good marriage? What makes uh, a follower of Christ? What makes uh, a good weekend, sir? It always goes back to Jesus. And communion helps us, uh, reminds us of that. I believe that's the first reason why they continually participated in it. Second thing that communion does and by the way, uh, when we talk about the basics here, uh, like we've done each of the last few weeks, these are not things that we just forget and then move on. These are things that become foundational that we then stand upon. So that was the true of our doctrine, right, that we worked through, true of fellowship, how we talked about it last week, and now true of this act of communion, that every time we take communion, every time you take communion, come back to these, stand on these, right? So it uh, centers us back to Christ while affirming proper doctrine. Second thing communion does this, it, it, it causes us to examine ourselves, and then I didn't put this in my notes, but I want to add to it, and to celebrate our new identity, Communion causes us to examine ourselves and to celebrate our new identity. Verse 28, let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. What are we to do first? We're to stop, we're to pause, and we're to allow the Holy Spirit in that moment to have some room in our hearts to, to challenge us, to convict us, and to pause and examine. Now, there's many depths of this. Each of us, if we took a long enough time, if we sat in long enough silence, if we uh, isolated ourselves from the whole world, we could sit there and we could allow the Holy Spirit to dig deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper, and it would reveal new depths and new depths of rebellion and selfishness and pride and all of these types of things, right? Uh, and so certainly if we allowed enough, it could, you know, he could keep digging and digging and digging. And so are we supposed to do that every time we take communion? Get to this place of absolute dejection and, and say, oh, I am unworthy. Here's what I think is going on here. Saying, examine yourself. And there was a time in my life, um, it was a while ago, uh, when, when every time I would take communion, it was like the Holy Spirit would bring the same thing up. And I, I almost got to the point where I was like, I don't know if I want to do this because I know what he's going to say, right? And, and what was the Holy Spirit doing there? He's saying, he's saying, hey, deal with this, deal with this, deal with this, deal with this. And in his loving, gracious kindness, what does he do? Eventually, he does deal with it, right? We can't be in Christ long enough without the Holy Spirit just saying, you're going to deal with this or I'll make your life miserable, right? Uh, and so we dealt with it. And I think this examination of ourselves is when we go to the table, uh, when we sit down and we, and we partake again, what we're doing is we're making ourselves available and the Holy Spirit, I think, reveals in that moment what he's most wanting to work in us. Where the anxiety is most crazy and he's saying, I need you to remember my words if you not worry. Where, where we're most rebelling in, uh, in mind or thought, where, uh, where there uh, is the most need for him to work, and he, and he wants to examine our hearts right there. And friend, when you go to communion, you should do this 
You should allow the Holy Spirit to, to stop in that moment and to bring up, and you should desire this as a follower of Christ. Is there what in me, uh, Father, needs to change? And going back to the table allows that to happen. In this way, it reminds me of a, a graph or a diagram that we looked at a couple of weeks ago. Uh, I didn't call it this then, but I'll call it now. It's like the sanctification cycle. And what happens is the gospel convicts us, and that happens through preaching or teaching or reading scripture on our own, um, or I think it can happen through the act of communion. We sit down and we begin to take communion, and the gospel convicts us, which should lead us around this circle uh, of repentance into new identity. And every time we take communion, I think it's an opportunity for the Holy Spirit to come in and say, hey, I want to work this out. Let's, let's, let's work through that. But then... There comes this beautiful moment. And communion often has this kind of somber feel to it, right? Uh, and I get that. I understand that you're examining yourself. You're saying, all right, God, is there anything you need to work out of me? Uh, but then even in the cycle, what comes after repentance? The new identity. And so I think there comes this moment even in communion where you, you shift from the, the repentive moment, Holy Spirit, work this out of me, to the celebratory moment of, and I'm so glad you will, and I'm so glad that you have already worked in me so much, that there's a part of taking communion, going back to Christ, where you remember you are not who you once were. Jesus has changed you, and the old you is gone, and the new you is come. That there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, uh, that you have come out of that and uh, you are being, right, changed from one level of glory to the next, that, that the Holy Spirit is working, he is active. It's like you're going through the cycle and you're coming out the other side, reflecting Jesus more and more. And so even in taking communion, I believe there's this transition moment where you begin to walk out your new identity, where you say, God, I'm so grateful that you are faithful to complete the good work that you've started in me. I'm so grateful that I can walk in the freedom that you have granted to me, that I can walk in the spirit. And I do lay myself out in front of you, Father, and say, you have room to call me to what you want to change inside of me, but I know that you will move me into something that more reflects your son. And communion can do that. And so there's this moment when, uh, when I think it's like in your heart, it just kind of transitions you out and you come firing out now, walking more and more in the new identity. So there was a, uh, a spill in our household and uh, Reagan has been um, trying to work a little bit more uh, because I teach her all the time, how do we make money? By working and by owning things, right? And so she's always looking for opportunities to work. And, um, and so something spilled and she grabbed a rag and I said, hey, Reagan, is that rag clean? And she looked at the rag and she goes, yes, daddy, it's really clean. And I said, turn it to the other side. And the other side was really dirty. And she goes, well, yeah, dad, it's gonna be dirty if you look at the dirty side. Friends, there's this temptation to just want to look at the clean side of the rag, even with our own hearts, and, and to go, no, I'm, I've got all of this clean part of me, and it's always going to be clean if you only look at the clean side. Communion is this moment to pause and to stop and to say, okay, is there another side? Is there a side that, for whatever reason, I haven't been able to see? Is there a side that, uh, that I've been trying to avoid? And if that side is there, Holy Spirit, will you come in and will you let me see it? So we can clean up that side of it.
Because then the process I just talked about, that's when it's most complete. It will. It'll come in. Uh, his repentance will be there. Yes, but his grace will be there. And, and his love will meet you there. And you'll come out that other side walking more and more in that new identity. Isn't that powerful? And that's what he wants for you. And so, uh, uh, so that's the, the first two things, right, that, that I think when we take communion, uh, right, this is, this is what can happen inside of us. Let me hit the third one. Uh, the third one, this is probably where I'll spend my most time this morning, too. Um, communion creates unity and affirms fellowship. Communion creates unity and affirms fellowship. Uh, let me read verses 17 through 19. This was Paul's opening. By the way, this is one of the most, like, savage parts of the New Testament, Okay, Paul is like, he's not holding anything back here. But in the following instructions, I do not commend you. Because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. He goes, and I believe it in part. For there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. Do you get what he's saying there? He's like, yeah, of course there's some division and some faction. The division and the faction reveals those who are not properly aligned with what the Holy Spirit is doing. And so he says it's, uh, it's like the Holy Spirit's way of saying, warning, warning, warning. And so he said, I'm not really that surprised. Uh, just understand what it's doing. And then there's a biblical process for taking what's out of line back in line. And we'll walk through that here in a second. And I think communion is a way uh, that, uh, that helps us walk through that process. But Paul says, yeah, it's really all not that surprising. And then he goes on to, to lay out how this, can, uh, how this was particularly playing out in the, in the context of communion. And he was saying there's some individuals in the, in the context of their church, and they were uh, really kind of being more self-centered than they were corporal. Uh, and so in the advancement of their self-interest, they were leaving some people behind. And, uh, and Paul's like, this isn't right. This is not how we're supposed to do things. Now, before I continue to teach you this point, let me say this. I want to um, kind of uh, talk about those four circles I laid out at the beginning. First is the individual, you, you. Second is, uh, if you're married, your marriage, okay? Uh, and so, uh, husband and wife. Third is the family, okay, the family. And then fourth uh, is the church in general. And, and some of what I'm going to talk about this, uh, here in this next part um, applies to some of these circles, but doesn't apply to all of them equally, right? Because in the end, uh, a marriage and partnership in a church, they're not the exact same thing, right? Uh, and so there's a couple of little discrepancies. I'll try to explain those as I go. And here's why I want to do this, because I believe that this act of communion and what happens when we go to the table here, centering ourselves back on Christ, right? Examining our own hearts, seeing if there's another side to the situation, that this, uh, when we do that in that process, uh, that this can be a very unifying moment in all of those circles, and this morning, I think there's an opportunity uh, if we walk through this for us as in all of those circles, individuals unifying back to the father, marriage unifying back to the oneness that you're supposed to have, the group or the family unifying back together, and then the church as a whole uh, just always supposed to be walking in unity, uh, that walking through this process, uh, it can begin to, uh, to bring these things back together. So let's start uh, in, the, in that little second circle, the marriage that there is actually something uh, powerful about um, uh, communion, bringing the marriage back together. 
Uh, all of these circles, right, there is an element of oneness, and, and Jesus affirms oneness uh, over and over and over. Our oneness individually between us and the Father, right, our oneness in the marriage. And sometimes uh, through the course of life, the oneness, particularly in marriage, it can get separated and it can begin to break down, and, uh, and the one can become two, uh, certainly practically. And communion has this way uh, when you sit down uh, to, to begin to form back the oneness. And so let me just say this morning uh, that it might be present in some marriages uh, that uh, there might be a need to stop and to come to the table together. And perhaps you've tried everything else. You've tried conversations, uh, and you've tried counseling, and you've read the books, and you've had other people speak in to your life, and, and many of those things are probably good things, right things, helpful things, but let's try this thing. Remember when you took communion on your wedding day? Remember? A lot of times this was a part of the wedding, and uh, it became a part of the wedding, right, as a reminder of the oneness and how the table can bring us back into that. But maybe you took it on the wedding day, and you haven't taken it since. And today is a reminder that if there is division in the marriage, to come back to the table, husband and wife, because when you come to the table, when you lay yourself out, when you examine your heart, when you go to the table, when you're asking the Holy Spirit to come in, when you're looking at the perfection of Christ on the cross and what he did for you, and when you're doing that properly, it's really hard to hold on to your pride. It's really hard to hold on to your pride in marriage. And, it's, uh, and I think this opportunity then allows you to step in toward each other. And listen, guys, I understand. I might be asking you to do something right now, and you're like, man, this is going to be awkward. Break through it. And it could be one of the defining moments of your marriage when you, when you look at your wife and say, listen, I know that I've got a lot of weight to carry on this. I know that I haven't done this well, but I can see where oneness has begun to break down in our marriage, and I don't want it to. And so uh, I don't even know exactly what I'm going to say, so I Googled this on how to take communion together. Uh, and so I'm just going to read it because I don't really know what to do, but I'm just telling you right now, I want to see us get back to the oneness that we once had. And I'm willing to break through the awkwardness to do it. And I'm just talking hypothetically here. I'm like, you sit down and you have this conversation. You grab whatever elements you have and see what God wants to do. Maybe you've tried everything else. Why not try his prescription for unity? Go to the table, go to the table, go to the table. Let him move. Then, beyond that, into the family. And dad, husband, like it might even get harder, right? Because then you're going you're gonna to have that moment with your wife, and then you're going to look, and you're going to go, wow, uh, something happened in our family, and there was some breakdown, and there's some brokenness, and it's not one like it used to be, and we can see all of these little things festering, and we're, we're losing our minds, or we're starting to yell, or we're starting to uh, get agitated, and the joy we once had in our household, it's no longer there, and the way we all used to get along, and it, it's going to break down. And, uh, and so, dad, you're going to go, okay, uh, guys, let's go. We're having a family meeting, and uh, we're going to eat dinner together, and, uh, and your kids are going to be like, we barely ever even eat dinner together, and then you're going to get into the dinner, and you're going to sit at the head of the table, Dad, right where you belong, and you're going to look out at the kids, and you say, guys, 
I'm in charge and I'm sorry. But we're supposed to experience something as a family and we're not, but we're gonna get it back. And I know this is hard. And I know it's a little awkward. We're gonna take communion together. And you walk them through it, Dad. And you let God's spirit move. And you see where your family goes. And a week from now or two weeks from now, when you see a little bit of progress or you see the enemy begin to ramp up his attacks, you go, hold on, we're going back to the table. We are going back to the table. Because the enemy is not going to steal the oneness that God desires. Not in your marriage, not in your family. Go to the table. And in the church, in the church, Paul was, he was laying this out. And we know that in the church, um, how much God desires oneness and unity in the context of his church, right? He, he talks about it often. Jesus prayed for it. Paul instructed it. Peter encouraged it. I mean, it's all over and it's all over. And um, I, I've had this conversation out loud with, with many of you before, but, uh, you know, it's interesting because in the context of our churches, we often elevate or uh, get concerned about some of the wrong things. And, um, and one of the things that the scriptures are most concerned about is division, uh, wherever that might surface up. And, uh, and, and this was in part what obviously was going on here in 1 Corinthians. And, and, and so Paul kind of lays out some, like, go back to the table, fix these things up. And, and the scriptures actually talk often about this in the context of a church, right? Uh, and listen, if you've been in church more than like, like three weeks, okay, maybe a couple years, right? You've seen certain things. And, and here's what's rough about this. Typically, we only, we only see the, the bad side of it, right? We only see it like when, when it didn't work, then, we, then you hear about it in the context of church. But the, 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 the better way would be, why don't we just keep going to the table as a church so the bad things don't happen? Let's be proactive in forging the unity as opposed to being reactive. And uh, in, the, in the context, right, uh, the scriptures give us a lot of different ways to go about uh, to creating unity. And, and some of this will apply to all of the circles, Okay, uh, like for instance, um, uh, one way when there is a breakdown, and this is again in the marriage or in the group or in the, uh, in the church, one way to work through something is to let love cover over a multitude of offenses. See, uh, biblically speaking in the context of the church, when there is division, there's only two paths. There's only two paths. Restoration or removal. Now, here's where it's different. <laughs> By the way, you don't get to apply that one to your third grader. You're like, hey, kid, you repent or we're removing you from this family. Get out, right? That, that, that one doesn't cross. And, uh, and biblically speaking, even in the context of marriage, outside of the biblical exceptions, right, removal's not supposed to be an option either for the believer. And, uh, uh, but in the context of the church, right, these are the, the methods given. And the, the, first, the first hope is always like this pathway to restoration. And, uh, and one way to do that is just let love cover over a multitude of offense. And let me just say this, uh, right? Love can cover over a multitude of offenses. Uh, and sometimes there doesn't even need to be a conversation. Somebody does something, you go, you know what? I'm just going to let that slide because I love that person. And if you let love cover it up, don't bring it back up. Can I say that again? If you let love cover it up, don't bring it back up. 
If you let love cover it up, just keep it covered up. You know why? Because when Christ covered up your sins, he doesn't bring it back up. Enemies might. Enemies might bring it back up, but Christ doesn't, right? Christ does not. Let love cover it up. And sometimes you can do that. And sometimes for some of you guys, some of the couples in here, or some of the, like, it's not so big. Like, you might be able to just look at each other and go, love's going to cover it up. Okay, now don't use that as like a tool, <laughs> okay? I'm just going to let love cover that up, right? That's not letting love cover it up. Okay. You just, you let, you let love cover it up. And, and how do you know you let love cover it up? Because you maintain relationship like the offense didn't occur. Okay. Now, other times, it's, it's not that easy, right? And so you start thinking about like the Matthew 18 principles and some other things, and there's a hard work that then has to begin to happen in order uh, for there to be proper restoration. And then even after proper restoration, there's to be proper, proper rebuilding of trust and all of these different things. But there's, a, there's this work that can begin to happen. And the only way it happens is when there's humility and repentance on both sides. You say, how does communion play into all of this? Because then when you go to the table, when you go to the table, what are you doing? When you go to the table, you're going, okay, if I'm going to go to the table this morning, if we're going to go to the table together as a church, we're, we're going to ask the Holy Spirit to examine us. We're going to ask the Holy Spirit to work in us. And so he's going to reveal uh, if anything needs to be dealt with or taken care of. And so what it's going to do is it's going to uh, be proactive instead of reactive. We're going to get rid of those things instead of letting those things sink in. And so communion can help uh, create unity and affirm fellowship. I think that's why Paul uses such strong words when he sees them butchering communion. He's like, whoa, 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 guys, coming to the table was supposed to bring you all together, not bring you apart. Come to the table. Come to the table. Let God restore and, and fix and, and move. And then uh, and, the, and the scriptures, that, that's always the greatest hope. The, the scriptures do in Titus 3 give an outlet in the context of the church. Like if somebody get, refuses, right, to stop uh, creating the division to remove uh, that person. But it's always like the, the scriptures, it's always the last hope, right? You never want to see that, right? You want to just be able to come back to the table and let God restore, okay? So I do a catechism with Reagan every night, not every night, as, as many nights as we can, okay? And uh, we, go, we, we, we go through the whole catechism, and it's all of our doctrines and everything like that, and then we get to the last one, and she always goes, Daddy, I know this one. You don't need to give me the beginning. She says, families stick together. And that's how I hand it every night. Families stick together. I kiss her on the forehead, and I say, they sure do. They sure do. Families stick together, Right? And so, um, uh, friends, when we work through this process, this is always the end hope in the scriptures. Again, every circle that we just talked about, right? With the obvious exceptions that I had to lay out in a few of those. Let me give you the fourth one, okay? Fourth thing that communion does. Fourth thing. And you see, we're kind of coming in and out here of um, um, like, like, Quiet, right? And then joyful and communion. Man, what a roller coaster, right? And, and so you come out, and, and all of these things are playing in together, I believe, when you're taking this, right? Um, and, uh, and by the way, on the flip side of that one, um, uh, communion, when you take it together, when you take it in the body of Christ, when you take it as a married couple, uh, and you're not just being reactive, you're being proactive, there's something very affirming and building into it. Like, man, I'm taking communion with these people. 
Like, like what, how, how close are we? How, how uh, tied together are we? I took communion. I took communion with those people. And there's something about that that is like a rallying cry. And, and it leads us, I believe, into the fourth one. And the fourth one is this, that communion can create movement. Communion can create movement. Uh, at the end of the uh, uh, 1 Corinthians passage, uh, it says this, you're going to proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. There's some, you know, like, like we are looking forward, not just backward. And communion certainly does look backward, but it also looks ahead. Luke 22 says it this way. This comes right on the heels of uh, Jesus instituting the Lord's Supper. Uh, and he teaches this, uh, this famous teaching when he says, For who is the greater, one who reclines at table or one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at table? But I am among you as one who serves. You are those who have stayed with me in my trials. And I assign to you, as my Father assigned to me, a kingdom." that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And at some point in time in the communion process, I believe at the end of it, it's like shooting out of it now, looking forward to what God wants to do as a result of what God just did in you. And uh, the, the, even the death of Christ, right, the, the, uh, the, the act of communion and what we remember in communion, uh, him going to the cross and paying the penalty of our sin, we know that the story doesn't end there. He rose from the grave three days later. And so even in this act of communion, yes, it, it takes us into, there, into that place, and we do go into that place, but then ultimately we fire out looking forward to the, to the new sanctified you that reflects Christ more, to the new marriage that is walking in greater unity, to the new family that is more together than they ever have been, to the new church that walks hand in hand into whatever God would want us to have. And ultimately then communion is not a reminder, uh, is a reminder of victory and not defeat. It's a reminder uh, and it compels us to action, not to retreat. Communion, then when we, when we get done with it, we take it as people that are on the move. God, I took this and you, you revealed something to me, but I'm also walking in the power of my new identity and I'm coming out different. And Father, we went in in the marriage and, and the, uh, the one had become two, but we went back to the table. Uh, and I know one act of communion is not going to fix everything. It's not going to heal every hurt, but it's a really good start. And we are walking out and we are now moving into our path. In a way, this is similar to whenever I have a, a really hard conversation with somebody that's like this deep repentance moment or where they're confessing something, I always say to them, here's the best part. The act of your confession and repentance today means that there was a trigger that now you are running back. You are not going deeper into the problem. I said, today's a great day. I know you're carrying a lot of weight right now. I know what you just confessed or what you just did is really hard, but now is actually the first day where you're headed back home. And communion can be that moment where it spits you back out the, the outside. And what was so hard all of a sudden uh, becomes a little bit easier because now you're running in the force and the strength of his spirit pushing you into it. There's a lot to do, friends. There's a lot to be healed. There, there's a lot of marriages that can walk in a greater fullness, a lot of families that can walk in greater togetherness. There's a lot of power the church can have when it's fully together. And communion can spit us out running into that. This act, looking forward to what will come. So we bought August 
I'm going to switch kids. We bought August, uh, um, we bought August, my two-year-old, a Jag for his birthday, okay? It's very small, okay? And uh, it's got an electric engine, right? And he can drive around the backyard in it, and he loves cars. And so we thought, you know, he's certainly going to, um, to love this thing. And, you know, his favorite words are truck, truck, and car, car, and wheel, wheel, and all of that kind of stuff. And every book has a truck in it, and all of that kind of stuff. So we buy him this car, right? And we put it in the backyard so he can begin to drive it. And, uh, and, and what does he do? He, one, first thing he did is he left the Jag, uh, and he went over to his old, um, like, you know, cozy coupe, those old things. And, uh, and he starts pushing that thing around. I'm like, dude, you got a jag right here. What are you doing, kid? All right, then, all right, after he got over that and he was enamored by the beauty of the red of the car, right, he, he thought and he had applied the principle of what he does with the Cozy Coupe to his car. And so what he could have done is gotten in the car, turned on the car, right, hit the gas pedal, and that thing would have taken off. What does he do instead? He gets behind the car and he starts trying to push it. And so there my poor two-year-old, right, is like walking around. He's the sweetest little boy. He's walking around, and he's just pushing the car, and he's like, why is this thing not moving? And all he needed to do was get into the car, hit the gas, and go. And I want to say this morning that I think some of us, what we've been trying to do is we have been trying to push. We've been trying every method. We've been trying every tactic. Uh, we've been trying everything we can to do uh, to try to heal the marriage, to try to heal what's going on between us and God, to try to create unity and all of these types of things. Uh, and, uh, and we're doing it. We're pushing it. And we're making a little bit of progress. But it is hard and it's laborious. And we're getting tired and we're getting worn out. And we're not really going to make it. And I'm telling you, there's a better way. Go back to the table. Stop at the table, take communion together, let the Holy Spirit fill in that moment and see what happens. There's power when you stop and you go back to the table. That's why he gave it to us. Take advantage. Go to the table. Married couples, go to the table. Friend group, whatever, go to the table. And then church, collectively, we're going to go to the table, right? We're going to go to the table just as a way of affirming, hey, we're here, we're in, let's go. What do you got for us, God? And some of you I know this morning, maybe you're feeling alone, and you're going to go to the table this morning, you're going to go alone, but at least what you're doing is you're saying, God, here in this moment, in this season, I trust you. Spit me out on the other side, at least in complete trust with you. So let's take a moment before we go, and let's go to the table. Would you go ahead and pull out the elements? If you need one, go ahead and raise your hand. Got a couple in here, Michael, and then a couple in the back row. Go ahead and open it all up. We'll get all the crinkles out now. think about it so early on 
so early on, the church had to keep going back to the table. Had they forgotten Jesus' death already? I mean, for some of these guys, it was like four weeks ago, right? And, and I'm not making light of remembrance. All, all I'm saying is there's obviously, there was something going on here that they just kept going back because there was a work that was going on. There was a work that they were allowing to transpire inside of them when they went back to the table. Would we let that work happen in us too this morning? So let me walk you through it. When you go to the table this morning as an individual, examine your heart and ask God to show you both sides. If you go to the table this morning as a married couple, you're probably not gonna fix everything right now. Maybe love can't cover it all, but a commitment to doing the hard work, to doing the right thing is a great start. And affirming it in this act is a good thing to do. And as a church, I would encourage you to take communion this morning with us. It's just a simple affirmation of alignment. Hey, let's head in this thing together. Let's walk in the power of what God wants to do together. So we've already read all the passages. Let me pray. And then after I'm done praying, the band's gonna sing a song. You can take communion on your own, pray, whatever and then participate as you desire in the song. Will you pray with me? Father, it can be a bit of a scary thing when our pride gets in the way to come to the table because we're here saying, change what needs to be changed in me. In the presence of you, Savior, I'm asking that. married couples. I know it's hard. And maybe it's not division. Maybe it's just a difficulty and a tough time. And maybe this act of communion is simply the reminder to each other. We're going to worship our way through this one. And today... You're not divided, but you are hurt. And you're simply coming back together and you're saying, Jesus, get us through it. Oh, and then church, I would ask that when we take this, it would be an affirmation to rise up and to run together after all that God would call us to. Let's step into the driver's seat and hit the gas pedal. For there is great work to be done. There is great work to be done. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you'd like to take a next step with Redemption Church, visit us online at experienceredemption.com slash connect card. 
You can also give online to support the work of Redemption Church. To explore your giving options, visit experienceredemption.com slash give online. We hope that the message you heard today encouraged you. See you again soon.